A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Properly Howard, a podcast that reviews classic films and other pulp fiction. Today we take a look at William Friedkin's Sorcerer, a gritty tale about fate and despair involving four fugitives that are in hiding but get a dangerous opportunity to transport highly volatile explosives in exchange for a significant payday. This is not a movie for people looking for a laugh or dry actors. Even the dynamite in this film is sweaty. With me to discuss this film, as always, is Dr. Anthony Ladon. <laughs> I love a movie with dynamite. <laughs> I feel like, Steve, I should mention that folks can connect with us on our new Severance Rewatch podcast. Would you recommend that podcast? I would recommend that podcast for sure. All right, good. So that should be coming out this week, and you can just do a search for Severance we are doing that in conjunction with the Lorehounds. So if you did a search for Severance Lorehounds, you will find our Severance podcast. We're going to do a episode by episode rewatch of season one, and hopefully we won't have to wait too long for season two. Yeah, that's coming up. Very exciting. There's nothing I find more funny than angry old people. <laughs> And if they can be a, a little bit biting and a little bit like ornery about it, a little bit frustrated with some kind of younger person that feels like a fool, um, I just find that so freaking hilarious. And so after I watched this movie, I decided I was going to watch an interview between the director of the movie Driver. Drive. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Drive. And... He he interviews William Freakin, uh, who at this point is, he's, I don't know how old he is, but spiritually he's like 104. Right. He's just so angry, and he's just, he, he almost feels like put out just to be in the same room as with someone that under 70 years old. Right. It's one of the funniest interviews I've ever heard. And so I'm going to go ahead and play a little bit of this interview. Well, because I, I find mean, this is what I, I told you that the film was a disaster. Right. How how better can I put it? Well, I want to know what goes through your mind. Like what? Oh, you feel like dancing. You right. actually feel like going out and celebrating. Right. Buying the best bottle of champagne. You feel terrible. 
So that, what did you what do? Goes so, so, so what did you do? Like what what goes through someone's reactions when they have reached what you have reached? Because mm-hmm. that's what I'm interested I'll in. I'll tell you what I did. I right. commit suicide. Right. I killed myself. And then I was miraculously returned to life for the purpose of this interview. Steve, you and I grew up in the 80s and 90s. I think that's fair to say, right? Um, It'd probably be factual to say. But I have memories from the 70s. Would oh, yeah, you, as, do you... as do I. Yeah. All right, all right. What do you remember about the 70s? Like what? Give me a give me a picture of Steve Osborne's life in the late seventies. Um, Star Wars. That was it. That's probably like <laughs> that was the whole thing. I, well, I mean, I got there's like it's so you had so you figure what so so I was I was in the seventies up until I was what three. Or three years old, and I and I have some memories that uh, sort of jive with being three. Yeah, um, and so it's like hard to say for sure if that was like eighty or seventy nine, but uh-huh. but I do remember going to see Star Wars when it came out and not being able to handle it because it was too loud for my little <laughs> little little body. You saw and... Star Wars in the theater. Didn't yeah, like it. Howard minus four. <laughs> yeah, I walk. I walked in, and I remember standing in the aisle as uh, you know, laser shots were ringing, and uh, and C three PO and R two D two were making their way down, like larger than life for this little little brain to comprehend. And I just told my mom, I said, "I'm not ready," so I went, and I think we saw Alice in Wonderland. And uh, and the whole time I was watching that movie, I was like, oh, "I just got it!" Like, come on, Osborne. So you get yourself together. And so, so you knew you knew that you should be in Star Wars, but yeah. your inner critical voice had already started. You're like, you asshole, you could be watching exactly. Star Wars right now. What are you doing with your life? <laughs> I, I love this so much. I love this so much. I yeah, deter- and determined that we, we went back. I think like a few days later, and I just planted, and that was it. So all right, so first. Watch a Star Wars Howard minus what? I mean, gosh, it's like Howard probably minus a, a, a thousand because that's what I thought the decibel level was. <laughs> okay, second watch, what was? Uh, it was like Howard plus infinity for that. For me, at that point, it was just like <laughs> when when you're three years old, the emotional Wait. swings are enormous. <laughs> Let me tell you a little something about my early relationship with star Wars that um, I think will help our listeners and you maybe understand me a little bit better, especially when it comes to things uh, along the lines of like theology and faith. Mm. Um, I remember when I was young enough to, and I I realized that um, there would be a sequel to star Wars. Mm -hmm. um, I would, anytime I would go to church, I would get really upset at the idea that Jesus could return at any time. Because my concern was he would show up before the sequel of Star Wars came out. <laughs> so when when people when like when my mother or somebody would talk about like oh you know we'll be delivered and blah 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 and I'm like oh. <laughs> I 
I remember praying that he would wait. <laughs> this is when you just, began to hate Jesus. <laughs> or just the idea that, like, so my, I just didn't trust him. <laughs> well, in retrospect, give Jesus a little bit of credit. Um, I give him a little <laughs> oh, bit. Oh, yeah, no, he's, he's certainly, he's even waited for, like, Howard the Duck. He's waited for. Well, uh, I, w- I was going to say, like, the best timing would have been, you know, 1999 before the prequels <laughs> came out. Yeah, while while we, you and I are, are camped out for our Phantom Menace tickets, <laughs> that would have been ideal. Yeah, but... so now I now now I just I I just trust him even more. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, geez, I I do I, I love that very much. I love that a lot. I do think it is almost impossible to overstate what star wars meant in the late 70s right no yeah i agree it it i mean it rewrote the way media worked it rewrote you know what an economy could look like um toys i mean it was just not even sort of like the impact on film no, no, no. Yeah, consumerism. I mean, it changed. It changed the concept of. It changed of... television. Like, there's a story about how the showrunner of Happy Days, his son wouldn't watch his show anymore because all he was interested in space, and that's how you got Robin Williams as a character from out of space in Happy Days. It was like it was a new world order. It's like everything yeah. about the '70s was over, and. The 80s had begun in 1977. Yeah, people were doing cocaine through the 80s because there was no rules anymore. There was just... Well, if, if you can't actually get to outer space... You might as and well... And befriend yeah, you might a well Wookiee. <laughs> you might as well try to climb there. <laughs> I mean, just everything. I mean, do we even have Robin Williams without Star Wars? It, it, it's sort of like the ripple effects are just enormous. Well, again, yeah, the, the consumerism the concept, right? The idea of you had to have the toy. Like, I mean, toys, like, we don't have, I don't have the frame of reference, obviously, because I post Star Wars reality, but, like, toys were fun, right? I mean, they were fine, but I, the idea of, like, get all of them, you know what I mean, <laughs> is, is like, mm-hmm. tied so directly with this film, and it's, like, the idea that as a child you could bring that film home, and so every toy then changed, right? Now you had to have like the 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 story of He Man is fascinating, right? Like uh, the 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 toy of Star Wars was kind of like it was small because of the like the budget, right? So they weren't necessarily intended to be that small because like GI Joes were bigger, things were mm-hmm. all like were big, so everything kind of shrunk. So then GI Joe shrunk, everything started to shrink. So then the He Man comes out and they're like, well, let's let's go big. Let's try to go a little bigger. But they're like, but there's no, there's no tie in. So they actually made the cartoon. They made those little comic books that go with it. Like, mm. like kind of tricking us into thinking that there was a story. Like the story was buy my toy. <laughs> and then they created a very, very quick, low budget uh, animated series to go along with the release of the toy. So people like, so kids are, because, you know, we're right. like, okay, well, there's a the thing. Now we can, now we can live that universe and the universe only existed to sell toys. And it was because of 
the success of the Star Wars toy and what that, I mean, again, like you said, the change on economy and the change mm-hmm. on on collecting, you know, I had like every action figure that for, for Star Wars. And that was important to me for some reason. I remember being really big into matchbook cars. And then all of a sudden overnight, it was like, no, I want to play with dolls as a little right? boy. I want to yeah, play yeah. with these tiny little dolls. And I never owned this, but the thing that all of the rich kids had was either the Darth Vader briefcase or the C-3PO briefcase. Yeah, I had the Darth Vader one. All right. So so you were not a rich kid, but Mm -mm. you're... No, we were poor because of my Star Wars fetish. (laughs) (laughs) Like, no Thanksgiving this year. Yeah, exactly. Steve has to own the head of Darth Vader and carry it around like a purse. Yeah. We show we show up to a friend's house with those, and I'm like, like, and they were overflowing, right? I could barely shut Darth. Vader's oh, head. I mean, there's someone who's who never, you know, I like got like one figure per, you know, for Christmas or whatever. To see a kid with that thing, it was like might as well have been like a duffel bag full of cash, right? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Anyway, I, we're we're reviewing Sorcerer, uh, as you can tell, time permitting. <laughs> And I think that this is an interesting film to look at in view of the impact of Star Wars. Right, because this came out like a week later, right? It was like Star Wars was out and the world changed overnight. And then Sorcerer comes out and they're like, dude, there's not even any freaking space magic in this. <laughs> and it's called Sorcerer. It's all it's called Sorcerer. We were expecting at least at one demon, right? Yeah. Because it was the director of Exorcist. This movie is done. This movie was done a year ago when George Lucas... George, George Lucas... I'll try that again. When George <laughs> Lu- <laughs> Lucas... Lucas. <laughs> <And> George Lucas... <laughs> got funded. It, you know, this was sort of like... This is, to me, it's an interesting art house film. I think it's fantastically made there's nothing about this film i mean this film sort of is a quintessential 70s film that should have done i think very well at least critically and yet george lucas pushed the start of the 80s you know he sort of pre-released the 80s yeah uh and anyway i think that this film is sorcerer is an interesting casualty of the Star Wars universe. We now need experienced truck drivers. Men who are willing to do a dangerous job. The men who qualify, they will receive exceptional wages. Only experienced truck drivers willing to risk their life can do it. just the idea too of like because you know we're, we're so used to blockbuster films now you know what i mean like we're yeah. so it's 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 just an expectation and it's still very new because this is like jaws is only what a few years prior mm-hmm. and that's really start to usher in like where summer was typically where like movies would go to die kind of like are like what we consider like february march right yeah but then but then summer became that time like you have to have a blockbuster and so the idea of a big movie um 
is we're pretty used to it and we kind of have uh, adjusted our life even more so with streaming now to accommodate that but back then i mean going to the movies was kind of a little more of an event right and if you're going to go to a movie after star wars and it's not star wars your family's going to hate you because because you would go because people would go see star wars like three times four times because we don't we're not in a spot yeah. where we don't know when we're going to see it again right we don't know like there's no concept of yeah. of vhs or dvd or or even if it's gonna like it may show up on tv in like five years or whatever it was and it's gonna be on once and so you gotta and there's gonna be commercials and you gotta like you know change your whole schedule for it right that's that's how well, it on was top like, of that it was like if you missed like some movies were out a week and if you missed right. that week you might never see it if you were a kid who hadn't seen star wars like you had no idea what everyone was talking about. Right. And so the thing, and it's something like a sorcerer, if it's not doing well right away, they're going to pull it. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where it doesn't even stand a chance in that time. Right. Like, so movies become uh, financial failures by virtue of the fact that no one's just going to go to them. And then there's not another way to recoup that money. You know what I mean? It's like you may get a global release, but you're not going to get, like well, well, because some movies do like some. We've talked about um, uh, like some of these John Carpenter cult classics that get to become cult classics because of video release, right? Mm -hmm. They do so well in that market that then you might get a re-release in a theater, or now you've got a chance to license some merchandise or something that that then people want a piece of that, right? Um, but that's but that was a window that wasn't really open in in this time frame. So this movie is so different than Star Wars in so many ways. There's a few parallels. Well, but... like I mean, it, it's arguably more fun. <laughs> this movie for the first hour is just a snooze fest. It's a trudge. <laughs> And if you're not into it, like, like it's interesting that he's looking in the mirror, but the mirror is a little bit split. So you see two halves of him while his wife is saying, no man is only one thing. Ooh, that's an interesting metaphor. Like, if that's not you, like, if you're not like a, a film geek, you're walking out of this. I started film. watching this. This film is freaking in I... French. My film was pretty much as condemned. But I will now tell you very frankly, I never believed this reaction. I always felt that the film was great, and I still do. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great film. Mm -hmm. Is it the best film ever made? I couldn't say that. For the I first started watching minutes. this movie last night, and uh, and uh, I was like, all right, I'm starting to get a little 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 dozy, so I'm gonna. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put a pin in this and revisit it in the morning when I'm a little more refreshed. And I had a moment this morning where I'm like, oh, this might be the first podcast we do where I just don't watch the movie. <laughs> I was actually thinking, I wonder if that would be a good podcast. Like, would that be a good podcast? <laughs> like, maybe because it'd be a different way to end the season, right? Like, Anthony talks all yeah. about the movie and I'm like, all right, if you say so. You know, like, I mean, would that be good? <laughs> so all right so, so, so let I, me so i can't i did come back to it and i did finish it i just want to make, make that very clear okay <laughs> all right um so i had that experience like the first hour of this film I, it's a good 20 minutes before you even see roy scheider 
right know, so which is weird to be like oh, i need my shiter <laughs> there's a couple times where i'd be like wait did i get the right movie here because <laughs> i thought roy, roy shiter was in this this is actually a french film by the same name i didn't understand what was happening until the very end of the movie i was fairly convinced that there would be some kind of jungle sorcerer that was going to introduce some sort of magical element into this film. I mean, it's almost like walking into a, mu- a museum of a style of art and an artist you've never heard of and you have no frame of reference for. Mm-hmm. That was sort of my experience the first time around. It's like the 20 minutes until you introduce Scheider felt like four hours. Well, and it's, and it's directed very differently, right? Like the movie... Because it almost is like a little bit of vignettes, and it feels oh yeah, and, they're absolutely vignettes, and it feels like and it doesn't even feel like it's the same director for each vignette. It was like oh cool, and when it starts, it's like oh cool, there's a an assassin in a suit. I love assassins yeah. who wear suits, and now he's in an he's elevator, like, and that's over. It's like wait, no, no, looks like this is a French political drama. <laughs> okay yeah. all right i i could get into that right oh no no no, no this then. is gonna be about a church robbery how many <laughs> how many films do us church robbery i will say okay so here's the thing is we're getting like okay finally we get our shider right which right. again is a weird thing to be excited about but like i was and then i was, i really really hated that whole sequence it was church oh robbery? it was like I'm like, this is goofy. Like, it was so this is, goofy. This is how much uh, Star Wars affected you. Not only did you begin to hate Jesus, <laughs> now you can't even watch a scene where a church is being robbed. I know, yeah. I, I, it, it just, I don't know. I thought every, like, every bit of their, like, the singing in the car, and I, I was just like. Oh, I love that. Uh, I was going to say, I freaking love criminals in suits singing tavern music I love that that scene man I mean it was just so like I'm like what who where in what world <laughs> you know <laughs> you know so so it's funny because i'm like because everything was kind of gritty right i mean this is obviously uh-huh. a gritty scene too but i just like that's when i go okay this is where i get a little bit out of movies i think in this time frame is because it sometimes these characters are painted with such broad stereotypical brushes uh-huh. that it's like ah because i'm like are we gonna see a bunch of this uh so, like I said, each vignette felt... I, I could live in that little vignette. I love it so much. I mean, I, we, were, we were like, I was just waiting for a yeah, see? Like one of those moments. <laughs> but so... I love the... I love the... Just a moment on that scene. <laughs> the gangster who says... You're at my church. Shut my brother. I don't care where he goes. I don't care where he is or what it costs. I want his ass. I want his ass. Yeah. I just freaking love movies like this so much. And I could have lived in that movie for a long time. And then it's like, oh, no, nope, that's over to Columbia now. Yeah, you're in Columbia now. And so at that point, I'm thinking, 
well, at least I'm going to get to the magic. I, at least I'm going to get to the evil wizard because I really was waiting for Roy Scheider facing off against an evil wizard. Wow. <laughs> nope. Yeah, because you do get that sense, right? You would get the sense if you didn't know anything about it that, well, this is going to be a movie about, uh, you know, sort of like a, you know, the, these guys are almost like a purgatory or a hell type situation, right? right like, I mean, that's... Right, yeah you know these are bad people and here they are and now it's like oh they probably have to make a deal with the devil and uh, well in addition to that the way that it started okay first off we all know that this is the guy who did the exorcist right so yeah. all right and then he names it sorcerer and then the title sequence has the title overlaid against sort of an aztec face you know, this is sort of like a exotic magic that's going to enter into these people's stories. Right. And so there's nothing to dissuade me from the idea that this isn't going to be a film about a sorcerer. Right. Yeah. So just a very interesting choice. It's definitely a choice. And uh, so you can think in 1977, you're like, well, I could either go watch the French film that has no space magic, or I could watch a film that's unlike anything I've ever seen that actually has a real sorcerer in it. <laughs> yeah. So the timing of this film is just the worst. It's like the worst timing of any film in history. Did you know the original title for this? Well, it's, you know, it's a remake. First of all, I never... And still do not view it as a remake. Of uh, The Wages of Fear, whether they're not going to use that title? No, he, so he went with Sorcerer, and he even, I, he even talks about like, eh, maybe, maybe that was an odd choice. <laughs> but um, it was Ball Breaker. <laughs> that even would have been better. Right. But, he, but then I watched the movie, with, like as soon as I read that, I looked back at the film and I'm like, I don't know. It doesn't really feel like a ball. I mean, that's ball breaker. No, <laughs> you know? no it's certainly not ball bearing breaker. Maybe right? just call I don't, it I don't trucking. I don't know. <laughs> I was, I was just thinking about like, you know how like, uh, you know, Spielberg's first film was dual. Right. Right. You could have just named this truck. Yeah. And actually that would have been better. I was going to ask you about the fascination in the 1970s with truckers. Like, to me, and I don't know if you felt this, but if you drove a big rig, you might as well be Jesus. I think a lot of that has to do with CB radios. CB radios were like, it, it was like voodoo. It's like, that, that you're... That was our streaming. with other people while you're driving? Yeah, that was our... Oh, that was early Reddit boards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this that was our... So, that was social media, right? I mean, like, that was your entertainment. <laughs> and so you'd have one. I remember we had a CB. And occasionally it would like pick up something and, but I was told, oh, don't use it because you're going to interrupt the truckers. Right. Trucks are just veering off the road because <laughs> some little sassy imp in Sebastopol is like, Hey, breaker, breaker, one, two. It <laughs> was like, it was like dark magic. I remember being told because my, my grandpa had this CB thing. It's great and power. I remember man. being told like, do not talk to truckers. Do not talk to them. You don't know who they are. You don't know where they've been. I'm thinking, like, what? How are these people so powerful? They're gonna come find me. Is, is that, <laughs> that's what's gonna happen. 
Well, and then being on the road and like, you know, getting them to honk for some reason, oh, getting yeah. them to honk was like, you might as well have just seen a miracle uh, to, to do the motion with your fist and to actually have them acknowledge your existence. Nothing quite says as special. And when they wouldn't honk, I'm like, oh, what a jerk. <laughs> Get me on that they CB. Just, they just went from being a wizard to a sorcerer. Yeah, okay. And then there were all kinds of movies about this. I mean, like Smokey and the Bandit mm-hmm. and at least two Clint Eastwood movies. He was a trucker. Yeah, BJ and the Bear was a, a television show, right? We gotta have monkeys in our trucks. <laughs> that was the ultimate. Right. It was the ultimate was if you could drive a rig with a CB and have a monkey next to you. <laughs> That's the height of luxury. It is not. It, not only that, but I think that that influences Lucas because you have that. You got truckers in space, ah, basically. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. You know, you have Han Solo with his m- monkey dog sitting. Yeah, because you already him. have a monkey named Bear on a TV show. I mean, do whatever you want. There are no rules. <laughs> truckers, for a, a brief moment in the seventies, were like gods. And I could see sort of like him thinking, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna feature a getaway driver driving a giant truck in Colombia. This is gonna be out of sight. People are gonna love this movie. People are gonna forget all about that space magic. <laughs> well, I mean, I, you were talking about Jaws earlier, and I was thinking like, when he started this movie, Jaws had just come out, and he wanted McQueen for this, right? And that's the other thing about this movie. Like, nothing says 70 movie as much as Steve McQueen was once attached to this. Right, right. Exactly. But because of some kind of personality conflict. And I said, uh, you just told me it was the best script you ever read. There is no major role for a woman. I'd have to rewrite the script to write a a part for your wife. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not that I don't like her. I like her very much, but there's nothing in the script for a woman. Hmm. He said, okay. He said, make her an executive producer so she can come with me and she's got a job on the film, not just my wife. And I said, executive producer, that's a bullshit title. I don't believe in that title and I'm not going to give her any authority over anything. You know, so I'm not going to, uh, have somebody around who's got a phony title. And I said, oh, fuck it. Who needs Steve McQueen? Okay, so Steve McQueen falls apart. Roy Scheider was available. He had just recently done Jaws. And Universal loved him. Okay, so it was a win-win. Oh, yeah. They said, you don't have Steve McQueen? Too bad. Roy Scheider, fine. Would they have financed the movie with an unknown actor, do you think? No. Okay, so you needed a star. Now, he, Roy wasn't a star, but he was well-known. Right. 
Okay, but you wouldn't have, you couldn't just cast your neighbor. Well, who and, would anyway? Why would well, I cast my neighbor? Would. He was a schmuck. <laughs> I wouldn't the, even give him a cup of sugar. That's amazing. <laughs> so one of the things that uh, Freakin says about this film, which I found very interesting, is that the reason he came up with Sorcerers, he was listening to a Miles Davis right. uh, uh, song, and he thought, that sounds like a cool title. Not the best way to name a movie. Yeah, he also, had, I read something that he had um, been, I think, in South America and looking at uh, kind of trucking uh, sites and whatnot. And there was a lot of, they would have um, mythical names associated with them. Okay. What he ultimately said was, I had made a film in The Exorcist about the mystery of faith. Mm-hmm. And I now wanted to make a film that had no supernatural element to it, but was about the mystery of fate. The fact that somebody can walk across the street feeling in the peak of health and get hit by a car. Right. That, that we have no control over our destinies. And that was my feeling at the time. Right. I wanted to do a film about people who seemed to have control of their destinies. They were each successful at what they did there were four characters who were not very nice people. Mm-hmm. And that was another thing I decided to do. Not do this story with heroic figures, with Superman, right. with guys in spandex suits. But I wanted to do it with guys who were not considered good people. Yeah. I also think it's interesting, though, maybe undercutting even his own reflection on this is... Um, he does choose four bad guys. You know what I mean? So it's sort of consciously he's, he's choosing right. like, who does he choose? He chooses a, a terrorist bomb maker, an assassin, a getaway driver who just robbed a church. And uh, I, I guess a, a, a French banker who's it was a, it was fraud, right? Like he was. Good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but so that so that's what I'm I'm saying like because like his whole thing is like hey a perfectly healthy guy can step outside and get hit by a car right so that's all like the cruel fate right but he did choose four people that from a if you take a spiritual look at it um, were were maybe condemned so their their journey sort of can be read as uh, like I know it's based on the wages of fear novel like as the wages of sin right. So I think it could have been maybe a little uh, bit more interesting to make that kind of uh, statement if one was maybe not a bad guy. Oh, so that's interesting. So the, the Romans passage, the wages of sin is death. And so this is the wages of fear. And then what is unsaid in the phrase is death. So it sort of foreshadows the ultimate fate of these four guys. Right. Right. So I think oh. I think it would have been I think. I, you know, and again, this is just you know, I, I'm I'm going after Friedkin's reading of his own film, but what I just think I think that there might have been a more interesting way to do that if they weren't all bad guys, because it, it's mm. so com- I mean, it's so obviously complicated by like, am I rooting for these guys or not? But like, if there was a, just like I said, just one person that maybe was 
like, oh, this is the dynamite expert that's that you're bringing along or something. You know what I mean? I don't maybe maybe there would have been a, a, another way to tell that that same story by adding so, that other element. Right. Yeah. No, I think that that's an interesting problem that the film has. I I do think that there's something interesting about having every character in this film be a not just flawed character but a bad person yeah you know even roy scheider who kind of you want to root for roy scheider because he just has a charismatic personality he gets over that bridge and immediately he thinks there's no way the next truck is gonna make it right and he's like elated that they've just doubled their win yeah yeah like we're gonna get twenty, we're not gonna get ten thousand. We're gonna get twenty thousand because there's no way that those guys are making it over that bridge. So he's sort of reveling in the the idea that those guys are gonna die in the river, and he's gonna be more wealthy, right? Right, and he's also reveling with the guy that he just interacted with that doesn't like at all. But it's like he, that, he knows he's assassin. In fact, he saw him murder a guy. Yeah, so they're in the a, street. But it's like, hey, well, we're we're connected now, so. <laughs> So the other thing that freaking said that I thought was interesting is that, and this is a very tropey thing for a seventies film is that the prospect of nuclear war kind of hung over everything. And he was thinking, here we are in the situation where these bombs are going to kill us all until, unless these warring nations, which are, evil at their core can decide to get together and accomplish something for the, you know, for the better. And so each of these characters is from a different nation. They're all bad people. They've all come together to accomplish this one mission related to a bomb. Right. And so in that way, there's a little bit of an allegory thing happening in this film. And for me, I kind of felt like, you know, before I was talking about a museum, I feel like sometimes a good docent will actually enhance your experience at a museum. And I'm kind of a museum guy, but I kind of feel like I think I'm going to appreciate this 10 times more if I have a docent. Mm. So this was a film that, you know, I kind of walked out thinking, Oh, I should have liked that film. There's so many elements of that film that I like. I, I like Schreider. Here's a, a filmmaker at the top of his game. I love slow, patient movies. I love movies from the 70s. I like movies that are about something and not just special effects or whatever. Why didn't I like this movie? So I decided to do start, start doing some research. And I, I mean, I just went down a rabbit hole with this movie. I learned a lot about this movie and I watched it a second time. I think... I still have a big problem with everything that happens before Schreider gets on the screen. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you could just figure out how to fast forward through some of that other stuff, it feels like a totally different movie at the beginning and start with the Schreider plot. I love this movie. I love yeah, everything you, about you, this you, movie. Do you have an opportunity? I wonder like to, it would flashbacks work better than vignettes. Well, it's interesting because, you know, we're doing remakes this season. In the original movie, what they do is they begin with the village. And they kind of talk about their, you know, you've got the four guys. And they've got to transport the bomb or whatever. 
but they basically just talk about their backstory. So you know what they're you know what they're coming from, but you don't have to do a series of vignettes to begin it. I think maybe freaking I've watched a few interviews with him now. There may be no more arrogant person who has ever lived than William Freakin. <laughs> because that bridge scene is the editorial, especially when he falls underwater, the use of sound going away, it's it's magical. It's absolutely well, magnificent. You. Thank it's you. absolutely it's untouchable. Again. You know, it's so well I know it's made. a good scene. <laughs> and some of that's earned. Some of it's earned. I mean, he did the French Connection. He did The Exorcist. So, but if you look at uh, it, there's a good chunk of his filmography that's kind of doo doo. Well, and I wonder what I wonder if it's Star Wars. I wonder if we could blame Star Wars for the, some of that. for Deal of the Century with whatever the case was. Chevy he was Chase. at the top of he was at the top of his game with this film, and I think that because he had all the accolades from. Uh, Exorcist and French Connection, and because these film execs were basically going to give him $15 million to do whatever he wanted to do, he almost felt like, I'm at the top of the world, no one can tell me anything. Right. And I kind of feel like, if you would have handed this off to a different editor and cut this film differently, it could have been freaking amazing. Yeah. Like, maybe cut out a half an hour of this film, and maybe it's it's like... One of the most amazing films I've ever seen. I, I think, well, and, and I, we're also looking at it through the lens of here we are in 2023 looking at this. And at the time, I don't know that a different editing changes because of how the Star Wars impact is going on. This is a bleak movie. This is, uh, you know, and Which that isn't, you that isn't to say, fond of. you know, I like a, I like a little bit of bleakness and I don't always love a Hollywood ending. So I don't, there is definitely space for this movie in, in, uh, in the world. And, um, it just wasn't at that. It wasn't then, you know what I mean? It's like, so like these movies were being made and they are being made now, but maybe not. Um, I think there was hope. And this is, I think shows the difference between uh, the seventies and now is I think there was probably hope from studio and from Friedkin. Oh, this is going to be a hit, right? Like this is going to make money. Whereas movies like this now tend to be, more what you would consider like Oscar bait, or maybe it would be uh, an independent film. You know, it's oh, I not... think if this was made now, I think it would be prestige television. Mm, yeah, that, that's HBO fair. show or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I could see that a limited series. Yeah, for sure. And I think because I think it, it, there are plenty of movies like this now for sure. Movies that are considered a little more artistic, that are like kind of in that Oscar bait realm. Um, do make a little bit of money now because there is an appetite for seeing that in the theater or at least uh, watching it streaming whatever that might whatever your medium is so this would so we don't have like I when you hear Scorsese now just like constantly uh, raging against um, Marvel films mm-hmm. um, it's not so and reading about this whole Star Wars thing is like it sounds like that's just echoing of the same thing right like when I mean, that's how it was back then mm-hmm. people were were condemning the Hollywood's just looking to 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 make a buck and they're going to do so with sort of these watered down stories that don't say anything they just uh, are spectacles or they and again it's the same thing that people are talking about with Marvel movies and the reality is it's like there's there is space for all of these things right and to sit there and say that that movies are ruined by these types of things, I don't think is is accurate. 
But in this particular case, because of the way that film was consumed and, and uh, the lack of access to uh, rewatches and all of that, this was for sure a casualty of, of a changing of viewing tendencies, I think. One of the things that freaking says is that he thinks that Star Wars was the beginning of the superhero movie push. Mm. So he, he said, basically, moviegoers realized with Star Wars what they could have in a movie. And that kind of bleeds into the popularity of superhero movies, which he kind of says, my movie is anything but. It's like, these guys are not superheroes. They're not even good people. And everything in my movie really happened. We did, we did no special effects, uh, you know, or, you know, very, very little practical effects. Even. Mm-hmm. I think that there's something interesting here because I felt about this movie almost the same way I felt about the Batman, which we covered uh-huh. uh, previously. I kind of felt like, man, I think that there was a good movie somewhere in here. And there, there's no reason why I shouldn't like this movie. Like, if you describe to me the Batman... I would be like, oh, that sounds perfect. That sounds exactly the kind of movie that I'd like. And yet, it had a, it had a lot of the same flaws that this movie had. And I just got bored halfway through. I, I fell asleep in the Batman. And interestingly enough, I think that Batman tries to mimic William Freakin in a number of places. Mm. At one point, they were consciously doing an homage to the French Connection in the Batman. Right. And I think that the Batman is trying to bring kind of that 1970s realism and darkness into a superhero movie. So now it's sort of like the thing that William Freakin hated and sort of blamed for the the poor success of this movie ends up the snake going back and eating its own tail kind Mm. of thing. Interesting. So, but... I had the same problem with both. It's like... Well, yeah. I mean, I, I one thing, if you're watching The Batman and you're waiting for Roy Scheider to show up, I mean, that's way longer. <laughs> I will say that I would have loved to see Roy Scheider in the fat suit that Colin Farrell <laughs> wore. That, that's what this film was missing. Roy Scheider in a, <laughs> in a Tom Hanks fat suit. I at one, at one point in the interview, Freakin calls Drive... A pimple on the asshole of humanity. Yeah. When he's talking to the director. Yeah. I don't like a lot of Kubrick's films at all, but I think that he has made some of the greatest films ever made. And I don't know how he viewed, I'm sure he was disappointed when uh, a movie didn't do as well as he had hoped it would. Like we all do. Like 2001. Yeah. Which didn't do well. But then it got rediscovered. Well, it was always there. Yeah, yeah, but same thing with your movie. Just two questions left. When you were mentioning... I have a third. Where is there a medic for this man? When you were mentioning... Did you hear the ambulance pull up? Okay. When you were mentioning 2001, Citizen Kane, you forgot to add Drive. We'll let that slip. We won't know about Drive for another 30 years. 30 seconds. Wh- whether it lives or dies. I'm talking about films. Uh, 2001 was made in 1968. I made this film about four years ago. So it's about Four time. years is a zip. It's not even a blip. It's not a, a pimple on, on the asshole of humanity. <laughs> that was so great. 
this this guy is just he, he freaking is he's heroic you know he says that no one's a hero that we're all flawed characters but in many ways freaking is my hero and <laughs> i kind of feel like i'm sad that i lost him he just died this year and i feel like i just discovered these interviews that he did <laughs> i feel like i just missed him so the think. blood had to bother you the blood was really bad the blood was let, let's talk let's talk about this if there's one tweak that you could make for for me it's the it's the the vignettes at the beginning and the texture of the blood because this film was really going for realism mm-hmm. right like that's that's the thing he loves about his film is that he didn't use special effects but then when he does use this the practical effects of blood it looks so bad yeah it's high c <laughs> was was there something you would do to tweak this movie definitely the vignettes i don't even know what to do about it i mean look because we're talking about like experiencing things in the theater like if this was me like let's say i went and saw star wars the week before and i was blown away right and i'm like okay i'm gonna give this sorcerer movie a shot there's no way i stay in the theater in that first hour no there's no way you 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 walk out i for sure walk out i mean like i said i almost walked out of something that i rented (laughs) i was i mean it was just like i was i was so not into it which is i mean and so so the thing is i was actually shocked by the that i watched the whole thing and i was i was kind of into it you know um because i'm like well this movie's something like there's something going on here that i'm i'm how did you feel about the last half an hour of this film just tell me that i well mixed i think um i at this point i think okay he's for sure gonna die like i got like that's the vibe you get right like you get this um you know, once you see the one truck blow up, I'm like, this is not about him getting to make all this money. You know what I mean? Like it, now it quadruples because he's, you know, he's the last man standing. And so I'm like, there's no way that this, that that's how this is going to end. We're like, oh, okay, well, cool. <laughs> he's catching it. So I kind of waiting, right? I'm waiting to yeah. see right. what's going to happen. Um, and uh, And I think it's interesting that, you know, basically his past comes back to haunt him and again and so this is going through the freakin's words talking about like well you know you can't control your fate i'm like well yeah in a way though like it it makes sense to me that like his sins of the past are coming back to haunt him you know what i mean it's like he didn't die haphazardly or he didn't die he didn't get hit uh by a car being being perfectly healthy like like he tries to 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 portray this idea or like a hurricane uh spares no you know no one right mm-hmm. um he he did a thing and that thing came back to get him <laughs> you know what i mean so it's like so i, I which is fine okay like, which i think is absolutely that a little bit which right. i think so- i just think it's a fine thing to do but then i think i was clouded by the interview after the fact because i'm like well now you're telling me one thing and i don't feel like you i don't feel like that was what you delivered well okay let's talk about that so he's on this job he's made a poor life decision he's the getaway driver he's stealing money from a church whatever but the reason why there's a hit out on him is because another driver in the car decided to shoot one of the priests who happened to be the, the mobster's brother. Mm-hmm. Everyone else in the car is dead. And so they decide 
they're going to go after this guy and blame him. And what Schreider says is, I don't even carry a gun. And so it's beca- it's not because he decided to rob the church. It's because there was a backseat driver argument in the car that caused him to glance over to the side and he crashes the car because of the stupid argument between these criminals in the car. And that's when his fate was sealed. His fate well, was that's, sealed. Well, that's what, that's what happened after he made the decision to right. work but alongside. He didn't, kill, he didn't kill the priest. He, he, you know, he was the getaway driver for armed men who were going into. I'm not saying he's a good guy. No, like, no. But I'm, I'm not, saying I'm saying is that that's a that seems like a logical risk. Armed men going in to rob a place. You have an you have a loaded weapon. There's a really good chance that somebody's going to get shot. Now you may not connect all the dots that say, oh, it may be a mob boss or blah blah blah. But someone may die, and I am I am aiding and abetting this thing from happening. So I guess for me, it's just like, yeah, I, I mean, I I'll get all those circumstantial things, and I think that Friedkin did a good job of doing that, which kind of reminds me a little bit of like you know sort of the No Country for Old Men um, approach. Yeah, I uh, like. Yeah, I think that that's that's a good analogy. But I also feel like it wasn't there was something about his own take on on what he was doing that I'm like, I get it. But it but you, you know, it it's different if if he's somehow innocent. Right. I mean, he's not innocent, you know, but like if it'd be different, he's if not he was... innocent, but it's not, the thing that should kill him doesn't. And mm-hmm. the thing that, that should kill him is the nitroglycerin in the back of his car. Right? Sure. In the back of the truck. And what you don't see coming until the very end is that the guy who's doing him a favor to get him out of the out of the country, that's the assassin that shows up to kill him in the end. Yeah. And he wouldn't need that guy if the stupid car didn't crash because of the stupid argument between the two criminals in the car. It's it, all of this sort of like... It's almost like the, these random series of events that lead your lead you to your own fate, which I think is what Freakin is trying to say with this. Yeah, no, and I and I, and I yeah, and I get. It. I just like I said, I just feel like uh, I the idea that like his past came back to haunt him. If you go that way, it's like that's not um, that doesn't feel like random fate. Is that's mm. my argument? That's is that is that uh, you know he didn't get his. He didn't get in the um, chopper and it went down. You know what I mean? Like that to me seems more like the you, you have no control over your fate because like hmm. you, you you link up with uh, criminals, you know, chances are there will be some sort of repercussions. You know what I mean? And 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 it and the idea that the repercussions might be you get blown up in Colombia like that that's more that seems more like like the the, the sequence too where like where the um you know the, the the palestinian terrorist and then the uh and then the french uh you know embezzler or whatever he is the, the, the like they blow up he's an interesting figure right because his is more of a white collar crime which you know one I mean? the french guy yeah yeah so like the only person that really died because of his uh, workings, as far as we know, is, is his partner who took his own life. Yeah, right. I think that's his wife's brother. And so, yeah, and, so there's and so yeah. he leaves his wife. He does this whole thing. He flees because he just can't handle like he's he's a coward. Right. Like so that so his character uh, 
getting just just blown up especially as he's kind of having this moment you know is uh talking about like france and and sort of like as he's sort of like thinking about basically like how do i get back like maybe maybe i can get back to that life somehow right um well and it's the engraved watch and the watch might represent you know sort of the 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 march of time which you have no control over and mm -hmm. he's feeling a little bit nostalgia and all it takes is sort of like a little bit of distraction. You you made it across the bridge. You now you're going to get a, a flat, <laughs> flat tire. A flat and that's tire. It. That's so that it. so so I thought that was actually a really lovely way to like that to me was really in line with what uh, Freakin was trying to say and do in this movie. I thought mm -hmm. because I think the other thing, especially because oh, go he goes because he goes through so much. Yeah, you know, you, to get over the bridge, and uh -huh. you think that's going to be the end of him, and then they blow up the you know the 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 fallen tree and you think that's going to be the end of them and then at the end of it it's just a flat tire so i think that that was i thought that was really great like that to me is like this is this is the movie what the movie's trying to say and then so at the end the only reason why i don't really love that ending is because it almost only works if you're rooting for roy scheider which i'm still not you know what i mean like I'm I'm rooting for resolution maybe more so than I am anything else because like at this point I'm not excited that he has forty thousand dollars. It's an interesting um, uh, ending that I think would have made more sense if he was more innocent, and I just didn't mm -hmm. see him innocent enough. If he was really more innocent and and like like wrong place, wrong time, more so than being the getaway driver who's unarmed. I mean, it's like okay, yeah, but still, you're not you you've helped facilitate this entire thing, so. I will, I'll tell you this, Steve. I will never not root for Roy Scheider. <laughs> he can do. He can do no. He could rob my church and shoot my brother. <laughs> I would still love Roy Scheider because you would assume at that point that um, that your brother must have been a shark. <laughs> uh, the other thing about this movie that I, I feel like I should call out: the bridge scene with the truck. I don't feel like I've ever seen anything like that on it in any movie. And it's really it, the tension's amazing. The tension's freaking amazing. They at no point in the film was I thinking this is CGI. It didn't cross my mind because it wasn't CGI, and it, it, it's from a time of filmmaking where you know that if you want to accomplish this, you actually have to do it. Like, you got to do it in some way. You have to, it's got to be a model or it has to be something like that to make this happen. In this case, they built this bridge and and they had these giant monstrous treks. The storm, and I think what they, one of the effects that they, it, just a brilliant idea not to do the Tangerine Dream score over that. Uh, you, you're hearing the, the bridge creaking, you're hearing the river and the rain. And then what they did was, and this had never been done in movies before. They took a lion's roar and they distorted it and stretched it out. Oh, wow. And I think um, like Scorsese copied this for Raging Bull and a couple other films have kind of copied this since then. And then when the second truck goes over the bridge, would you think like, oh, we're going to see this scene again with the second truck? Like, right. What they do is they show you the same scene. They use a different animal's roar, like it's some other kind of big cat or something, but it's not the same roar and it's not the same pitch. And they stretch it out and distort it. 
And it's it's almost a way to say, you thought this scene was harrowing the first time. You're going to see it again, and you're going to feel even more that way this time. Yeah, yeah. And the, the guy who falls through the bridge, and you see the, just that moment of just blank screen. Yeah, that's great. It was it was just it was just per- it was like a perfect scene I think in an era of movies like I don't think that that scene could happen a decade earlier or a decade later it it has to happen at this moment in film history and I just I thought it was remarkable. Yeah, no, I I agree. I was uh this movie very much um uh takes its time. Right. I mean, it's 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 a very patient movie. Very patient. Like you were going to. Hey, we're going to rebuild these trucks. I'm like, that was enough part. Where I'm like, I'm not interested. <laughs> I you know what I mean? It's like I don't like I don't like But this must go to sort of that. Like you talked about earlier, like maybe this this uh, fascination with big trucks and yeah. truckers because absolutely because there's not an element of that that's like interesting to me at all like oh i love it i love the whole thing i, love I mean movie. it's it's fine for this movie but at the same time i'm like there were moments where i was like all right let's i mean yeah you're gonna you're gonna pick a truck out of other trucks <laughs> i guess in the i guess in the book there's this there's like all this talk about finding the right trucks having the right truck shipped in it to me it's like if you're gonna go to all the trouble of finding the right trucks, why not just go get better nitroglycerin? <laughs> right. <laughs> but for some reason, no, we, we need this nitroglycerin that's really volatile. We need well, it up what is plan, What is plan B? Like, the the thought is they'll probably blow up on the way down. You, what's next? What are you going to do? You don't, you don't I think, no radio. I mean, yeah, right. I, you don't really get the sense in this film, but you do get the uh, the sense in the 54 film and in the book, that this is all about money. And you get that with the title, The Wages. Of, right, right. Right? It's all about that these fat cats have decided this is the cheapest way to do it. And so these li- these guys' lives are cheap. So the whole reason that they have to get up the mountain is because these guys are too cheap to go and, and use a more expensive means to stop the, the, the oil well, $40,000 in... in uh... In seventies feels like a lot of money. <laughs> it does. It's, it's sort of like one of these things where it's like, well, yeah, but even paying ten dollars more to to not put these guys' lives in danger is not a cost we're willing to pay. But, but I mean, it, it might not of... work, and then you have to pay. I mean, I guess you don't pay the forty thousand, but then you still got to go get the stuff. One of the most interesting things about this film for me is when Schreider gets back, and he says, "All right." Here's your, you know, here's your check. Here's where you're going to take it to cash it out. And where you when you get to where you're going, let me know how you like it cuz maybe I'll join you. And he has this moment where he's like, "What are you talking about? Like this is you've acted all this whole time like this was the most important job in the world to complete and now you're going to get off." He's like, "Yeah, well, this place might not even last another 3 months if we can't get the money right." So what Schreider realizes is that this is all fleeting. He just risked his life and went through all this stuff to get the nitro up to the fire. He went through that whole thing, and this whole place might be closed down in three months. 
I just so at that point I was like, I love this movie. And then the way that it ends with him dancing with the prostitute and you just see from the outside like no, today's the day you die anyway. Yeah. Cuz cuz that guy who you thought was your buddy getting you to Columbia, this is the same face who's going to end up killing you. I thought perfect ending. Every one of these guys is going to die and it it was for nothing. It was for nothing at all. I, I I'm with it all. I my only like quibble with the the concept of fate is I'm just I'm taking uh, exception to some of Friedkin's words. Had I not heard that interview, I might not have that same type of reaction. I might be like, oh, that sucks. And I also realized at the time that what a sorcerer in fact was was an evil wizard. Right. And in the case of the film. I thought the evil wizard was fate that controlled the lives of all these people, no matter how heroic they were or terrified or adventuresome or desperate, that their lives were out of their control, which is what I feel about all of us, right. every single person. And did the studio we, question? We have nothing to say about right. how we come into this world and nothing to say about how we're going to leave it. And that's the underlying theme of sorcery. It's like a Chinese fortune cookie. Huh? What are you He's talking about Chinese fortune cookies. What so, the fuck is this guy talking about? <laughs> but so that that's life, right? But so then when looking back, trying to go through this idea of just like this kind of randomness of fate, I'm like, mm, yeah, that, that part, I just didn't, that didn't jive, especially if that's your big ending, right? But otherwise, I think the ending, you know, take that, take his own words out of it and just let the, let the film stand on its own. And I think the, and I do like the ending quite a bit. Is there a trope, a cliche or a device that you enjoyed in this film? Um, I mean, it's trucks. Yeah. I guess I, I fall <laughs> to fall into that a little bit. Um, uh, th- there were, there were a few, there were a few, um, you know, uh, I, I, I like, and you know that, I mean, I like a little bit of, watching a bunch of people do something that I don't like I shouldn't root for and I'm not really rooting for them. I'm just I, I love the complication of bad bad characters in in tense situations and being sort of tricked a little bit into like forgetting that they're bad. So this isn't a cliche, but I it was one of my favorite parts of the film. It's the local and the loincloth. Oh, teasing them. He's like a mischievous guy who's just on the street and he's just, <laughs> he's just so happy, so happy to make Roy Scheider pissed off. Scheider has zero time for it. He's dancing in front of him. And he's peeking around, like keep looking in the mirror and he's just, he's peeking. And he's like, he's, the dude's quick. He's dancing. This nimble. I thought, oh, here's my sorcerer. This guy is awesome. This guy is dancing in the road. He looks like he's a professional wrestler. I know. It's like watching Jimmy Superfly Snuka just He's got the biggest the biggest smile on his face, he's jumping on the back of the truck. Uh, I could have watched that guy for hours. Okay, it, was awesome. <laughs> it was. It was like a, it was a nice little moment. And I thought it was perfectly placed because it's such a serious and dark movie. Yeah. Uh and just to have that little moment of laughter. I thought that was, well, it's kind of like it's, and that feels like a freaking moment where it's like, like, this is how life is. 
you get, we even get distracted by by like happy obstacles, right? Like things that are like get in our way, and it's like and really, <laughs> really they're just they're just in the way of progress. <laughs> There's no time for joy. Uh, Steve, was this movie better, worse, or on par with the Ron Howard? Film? I'll give it a Howard plus one. So it's so interesting. Like I was thinking, this is why after the first watch, I, I was thinking this is why the Howard scale exists because I, I realize this is a good movie, and it has all the elements that I like in a movie. And yet, the way I feel right now is a Howard minus three. Mm-hmm. It's just that's just the way I feel about it. Right. And then I did my whole Dosen experience where I learned about the movie and listened to the interviews. And I, I'll, I'll be honest, like I love that interview ten times more than I love this film. <laughs> and I I went back and rewatched it and I just kind of realized that as soon as Schreider shows up on the screen, I'm in. Like I I, I love this movie after that those first twenty minutes. Yeah. And so I kind of feel like I need to give the first twenty minutes like a Howard minus four. Right, right. But then the rest of the film is a Howard plus four for me. Yeah, I I, th- I think that kind of in the same boat. I gave it a positive just because I think there are so many really compelling things that Friedkin does after that 20 minutes. The 20 minutes is just brutal. And that's the thing. So it's really hard. It's, it's I, And the reason why I think I gave it a Howard plus one is because I wasn't going to watch this movie. <laughs> well, and then I, I will watched say this. it, and I and I was fascinated. I was fascinated, and I was I was captivated enough to yeah. where, like, I would recommend this movie and say, just sit tight. <laughs> well, and I think this is all about expectations because I could get into any one of those first vignettes. Like, if you told me this was about a hitman in a suit with sunglasses, I'd be in for that movie, right? Uh, if you told me this was a French political drama, I would be in for that movie too. And yet I'm sitting there looking at my watch and I'm thinking like, where's my freaking magic? Right, right. And so it's all of the expectations of this or where's, where's Roy Scheider? Damn it. <laughs> all of my expectations sort of ruined what I might have enjoyed otherwise. Gotcha. And so if it was just named truck or whatever. I would have had a whole different experience of this. So I I almost got to experience this movie in a way that people experienced it in 1977 because I didn't know all that information going in. Yeah, interesting. That's that's fair. Um, Is there a half the battle one to grow on moment in this film or a message of this film? Uh, Just be better. Um. (laughs) Just just be better people. Just be better people. And that really does sum up our season of Properly Howard. We'd, we'd like <laughs> be to... Be better people. We, we want all of our listeners to just be better people. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I want to give you a chance to talk about your two shows that are up, coming up in in nyc yeah sure um yeah i I will for sure will be at the talon bar um on the 26th of october it's a thursday night uh it is a nine o'clock show 
Um, and we're still getting waiting for the uh, definitive word, but I was told to just go ahead and put it on the calendar uh, for the West Side Comedy Club on the 25th. And that'll be an eight o'clock show. Wonderful. I will be at both shows and I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to doing that. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works, and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>